Thank you to our summer choir. That sure felt good to hear that, that God is good to me. Return to our scripture reading for this morning. We're continuing to work in um, the Gospel of Matthew. We be hearing the words of Jesus as he as he spoke them many many years ago that have come down to us. So, chapter five, verses thirty-eight. Uh, through 48. Jesus is recorded as speaking here, starting with verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also, And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard That it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be children of your father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors... Do the same. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The word of God for the people of God. In 1959, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. and his wife, Coretta Scott King, made a trip to India. In 1959, America was in the thick of the civil rights movement, and there were any number of projects and protests that could have used Dr. King's time and attention. And so, of course, people asked him, why are you leaving the country now? Why this journey? Why India? Why at this moment? And Dr. King responded by saying, you need to understand that this is not tourism. This is not ordinary travel upon which I am embarking. He said, I might go to other countries as a tourist, but I am going to India as a pilgrim. This is a spiritual journey for me. Dr. King was going to India in order to walk in the footsteps of one of his heroes. He was going in order to walk in the footsteps of Gandhi. And he was going at least in part because of a man named E. Stanley Jones. E. Stanley Jones was born and raised in Baltimore, Maryland. He went to school at Asbury College in Wilmore, Kentucky. When he finished his education, he felt that God was calling him to be a missionary. 
and felt that God was leading him to India. And so he traveled halfway around the world. He went to India. He became a Methodist missionary. He started working among the people on the very lowest rung of Indian society. He started working among the people called the Dalits, the people who were called untouchable. But it wasn't long before E. Stanley Jones became disillusioned with the work of being a missionary. He looked around. And he saw that India was filled with all of these white missionaries who had come from America and come from Europe. And he saw that many of those missionaries were at least as interested in serving whiteness and Western culture as they were in serving the gospel. He saw that many of them were at least as interested in serving the colonial powers that ruled over India at that time as they were in serving Jesus. They preached a white European Jesus. And they called on people to convert to a white European Christian faith. And E. Stanley Jones came to believe that there was something harmful and even abusive about calling upon people to leave behind their Indian culture in order to become followers of Jesus. He started to wonder if it was possible to proclaim a Jesus who wasn't a white European Jesus, but instead was a universal Jesus, a Jesus of all of the world's peoples. He started to wonder what would it look like to follow Jesus, not in a white European way, but in an authentically Indian way. And he found the answer to that question in Gandhi. Now, during his time in India, E. Stanley Jones became close to many of the people who were leaders in the Indian independence movement. Nobody inspired him as much as Gandhi did. He and Gandhi became close friends, and they spent many hours talking about faith, talking about the world, talking in particularly about Christianity and Jesus. There was a a bit of a mystery about Gandhi for E. Stanley Jones. He saw Gandhi as something of a riddle because Gandhi was not a Christian. Gandhi's religion was Hinduism, and yet at the same time when he looked at Gandhi, E. Stanley Jones saw the most faithful and authentic follower of Jesus he had ever met. There was a moment when Gandhi almost became a Christian. As a young man, a friend of Gandhi's gave him a Bible, and Gandhi was so grateful for this gift that he said, I will read the whole thing, and he came to regret that promise. He didn't know what he was getting himself into. Gandhi started reading the Bible, and he began reading at the very beginning. And later on, he would write in his autobiography that getting through the Old Testament was, for him, a terrible slog. He found the Old Testament to be violent and boring and confusing and difficult to read, and he said, I fell asleep over and over and over again as I was trying to read my way through the pages of the Old Testament. But he wanted to keep this promise to his friend, and so he kept on reading. And then finally he arrived at the New Testament. He started reading the Gospel of Matthew. He started reading the stories of the life of Jesus. And Gandhi said when he came to Matthew chapter 5, when he started reading the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, something like a surge of electricity passed through his body. Those words went straight to Gandhi's heart. Growing up as a Hindu, Gandhi had been taught that you're supposed to reward every blessing with a greater blessing. So if somebody gives you a cup of water, you should spread out a feast in front of them. If somebody greets you politely, you should bow down low to the ground in order to honor them. Gandhi had been taught how to, how to return a blessing for a blessing. But here, in the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Gandhi encounters something entirely new. Jesus did not just teach his disciples how to return blessings for blessings. Jesus taught his disciples to return blessings for curses. 
to return love for hate, to return kindness for violence. If somebody strikes you on the right cheek, Jesus says, turn the other cheek as well. If somebody tries to take your shirt, give them your coat as well. If somebody forces you to go one mile, go a second mile as well. These words thrilled Gandhi. They so inspired him that he came to revere Jesus. He called Jesus a beautiful example of the perfect man. He believed that Jesus was the greatest human being who had ever lived, and he almost became a Christian. He considered converting to the Christian faith, except that he looked around at the Christians he knew, and he saw that they did not look very much like Jesus. He looked around at the Christians he knew and he saw that they were not walking, they were not following in the ways of Jesus. He saw that Christian preachers and Christian theologians had found many excuses and ways of disregarding and ignoring these teachings of Jesus. He saw that violence was being committed in the name of Christianity. Violence was being committed towards himself and his own people in the name of Christianity. And so he decided the Christian faith is not for me. I'm not going to become a Christian. I'm going to remain a Hindu, but I am going to be a Hindu who walks in the way of Jesus. Now, Gandhi came to call that Indian way of walking in the way of Jesus satyagraha. Satyagraha is a Sanskrit word that literally means something like insisting upon truth, holding on to truth. Gandhi sometimes translated satyagraha to mean truth force or love force. And he explained satyagraha this way. He said, if you're speaking the truth and somebody opposes you, you have two options. There are two things you can do. You can inflict pain and suffering upon that person. You can respond with violence until that person yields and gives in. Or, he said, you can choose to take that pain and suffering upon yourself. You can insist upon the truth You can hold on tightly to the truth. You can wait patiently for as long as it takes for your opponent to come around, knowing that in the meantime, you might have to absorb and receive violence, knowing that in the meantime, you might have to absorb and receive pain and suffering. Gandhi said, this is the way of satyagraha, choosing to take pain and suffering upon yourself for the sake of the truth instead of inflicting it upon the people around you. Gandhi started walking in the way of satyagraha. He started teaching his disciples how to walk in the way of satyagraha. He made satyagraha the backbone of the Indian independence movement. And maybe the greatest example of what satyagraha was capable of came came during the salt satyagraha of 1930. In 1930, Gandhi decided that he was going to protest the British tax laws that had oppressed the Indian people for many decades. At that time, India was one of the world's greatest producers and exporters of salt. Uh, the, The coastlines of India were literally crusted in salt. If you were Indian and you wanted salt, all you had to do was walk to the beach and scoop up a handful. But at that time, it was illegal for Indian people to do that. The British colonial government had a monopoly on salt. Only the government was allowed to harvest and produce salt. Only the government was allowed to transport salt. Only the government was allowed to sell salt. And the British colonial government charged such high taxes on salt that many Indian people couldn't afford to purchase salt. They couldn't afford to purchase something that they literally could have walked outside and scooped up off the ground for free. And Gandhi decided that this was the injustice he was going to protest. And so he spoke to the British colonial powers. He wrote to them and he said, listen, if you can just bend and give us justice, 
sacrifice in these areas. I won't do this thing I'm about to do. I won't protest the salt taxes that you're charging the Indian people. And the British government just laughed at Gandhi. They said, really, salt is what you want to focus on. We're not too worried about a salt protest. And so Gandhi gathered, gathered his followers together, and he said, listen, he said, I asked for bread and they gave me a stone, which is a direct reference to the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And then Gandhi and his followers started marching. They started making their way towards the coastline, 250-some miles away. And as they walked, they would stop in villages, and Gandhi would speak to the people in these villages. And as they walked day after day, almost 250 miles, the crowds of people who came to hear Gandhi got bigger and bigger. The crowds of people lining the sides of the roads to watch them pass got bigger and bigger until they finally arrived at the coast and hundreds of thousands of people had gathered to greet them when they finally reached the coast. When they got to the beach, Gandhi waded out into the water. He bent over, he scooped up a handful of sand, he held it up and he said, with this salt I shake the foundations of empire. And people all around India started following Gandhi's example. People all around India started making their own salt, taking their own salt from the land. And the British Empire responded in the only way that they knew how. They responded with violence. 60,000 people were arrested, including Gandhi. People around the world started seeing images of these British soldiers brutally attacking Indian people who didn't so much as lift an arm in order to defend themselves. And around the world, world opinion started to shift away from the colonial powers and towards the Indian people. It would take many more years for the Indian people to finally achieve independence. But at that moment, the writing was on the wall. At that moment, the British Empire was beginning to crumble. Gandhi's Satyagraha accomplished what violence, what violence never could. And E. Stanley Jones had a front row seat to all of this. He got to watch as Gandhi used the ways of Jesus to change the world. And when his friend Gandhi was assassinated, E. Stanley Jones decided to honor Gandhi by writing a biography. And he wrote the story of Gandhi's life. And he wrote the story of Satyagraha. And somehow a copy of that book back in America ended up in the hands of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And Dr. King read that book. He read about Gandhi. He read about Satyagraha. And as he was reading that book, he took a pen, and in the margins of the book, he wrote three words. He wrote, this is it. Years later, he would say that at that moment, he was searching, he was seeking, he was trying to find a way forward for the civil rights movement, and he was considering many different options. Everything was on the table, and he confessed that at that moment in time, he was skeptical about the power of love to change the world. He said, Gandhi convinced him that love is powerful enough to move mountains. Gandhi convinced him that love is powerful enough to crumble empires. Gandhi convinced him that love is truly powerful enough to change the the world. Gandhi, by way of E. Stanley Jones, changed, changed the way in which the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. sought justice here in the United States. In 1959, Dr. King and Coretta Scott King made their way to India, and they walked in the footsteps of Jesus. And one of the highlights of the trip for Dr. King was when they got to visit Gandhi's home, and they got to take a tour of the house, the place where he had lived. And as they were taking that tour, Dr. King stopped in Gandhi's bedroom, and he looked at the, the simple sleeping mat and the sandals that had been left there on the floor, and he paused, and he said to the tour guide, he said, I can feel something here. 
There's a, a vibration. He is still here. Something is left here. Something remains. To which Gandhi and E. Stanley Jones and Jesus maybe would have said to Dr. King, well, of course there's something still here. Of course something remains because truth is forever. Truth never fades away. Gandhi put it this way. He said, in the struggle between truth and untruth, untruth can never win because untruth is not real. Untruth has no substance, and so untruth will always pass away in time, and the only thing that will be left standing, the only thing remaining is truth. And when we understand that, when we understand that in the end truth will stand and only love will remain, then we begin to find within ourselves the patience of a Gandhi. And then we begin to find within ourselves the courage of a king. Then we find within ourselves the courage to turn the other cheek, to give the shirt off our back, to walk the second mile when we believe in our hearts that only truth will be left standing and love will win in the end. That is when we find it within ourselves to finally begin to walk in the way of Jesus. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for the teachers who came before us. We give you thanks for those few people throughout all of time and history who have had the courage to walk in the way of Jesus. And we give you thanks for the way that he not only taught us, but the way in which he lived. And we pray, we pray that today, before we leave this place, before we conclude this time of worship, you would plant a seed of peace within our hearts that you would give us the love for our enemies and our opponents that we cannot find within ourselves. God, breathe your Holy Spirit upon us that we might shake the foundations of empire. In Jesus we pray. Amen.